Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. See, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their apportioned time in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Through, though he is not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not in him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The word of the Lord. come into this space, gracious God, with various things on our hearts and minds, but whether we come with great faith or great doubt, whether we come pretty passionate in one way or another about why we're here, or whether we come very dull and uninspired why we're here. Whether we come giving thanks for sunshine or for things in life that are sunny right now, or whether we come bringing the darkness of our pain and sorrow and grief. Whatever the case may be, we are being ushered into your presence through these things that we're doing together. And I pray now that this part of what we do may be a time where we hear your voice. Though I stand up here and make sounds with my mouth, but what may be heard are the songs and the words that need to be sung and spoken to the way that you have made our hearts and the way our hearts are ready to meet. We sit here more of a mess than we care to admit. Your story tells us over and over again that in Christ we are more loved and accepted than we ever imagined. That's really why we come, because we know we have a longing 
for that to be true. We know that should be true. We have difficulty believing it. Would you help us? Would you speak to us with your grace in such a way that our lives might be I don't know if you noticed it or if it was obvious, but as we read through those three different scripture passages that they all dealt with breath. They all dealt with breath. What are some, what are some things that we do with our breath? What are some strange things that people do with our breath? That was the question of the week last week. We didn't get really any responses. Sometimes I think we just don't make a big deal out of the question of the week and then people forget about it. I was thinking about breath and how someone can, we have lots of ways of talking about breath, someone can take your breath away. Or maybe you don't blame it on someone, but you just say, I'm out of breath. Maybe you decide it's not just not worth it, and so you don't waste your breath. You want to save your breath. Sometimes we find ourselves, after maybe a short jog or a walk up a staircase, we find ourselves um, to be in need of catching our breath. Sometimes you have to say something to someone over here under your breath, or you tell your doctor that you've had labored breath, or maybe you're waiting for something, bated breath. We talk about breath a lot. We do weird things with our breath. One of the, probably the strangest things that if somebody from outer space, from some other planet came to, to look at us and say, what, why do I see some people breathing in smoke and then breathing it out? What's that? You think, yeah, that is kind of weird that we have that as a part of our human situation. Somebody at one point decided it might be a good idea to breathe in smoke and it caught on. And our breath can tell a story, you know, you, and, and a police officer might want to find out what that story is, and so he uses a breathalyzer to see what's going on with your breath. You think you can't do a whole lot underwater because you need breath, but now we have ways of dealing with that. You can be underwater for hours because we have these tanks filled with what you need for your breath, and you can just go down in there, and those tanks have little cool tubes, and they connect you to your breath. You can spend as much time underwater as you want. If you're going to go in the wilderness and you want to start a fire, you're probably going to have to use your breath to blow on that little spark. If you're going to throw a birthday party for a friend, you might end up using a lot of your breath until you're out of breath blowing up those decorations. Someone might offer you a mint during the service today. You should probably take it because it might mean that you have bad breath. And I was thinking about those two things together. What if you, blew, if you blow up balloons with bad breath and a couple hours later, if you let the air out, will it smell? I don't know. Go home and try it. But you got to have bad breath first. And then the crazy thing is you can go to a circus and you'll find someone who's actually throwing fire around and then using their breath to breathe fire out into the air. That's very entertaining. Breath very beginning of the Christian story anchors itself and anchors us in the concept of breath as we just read, we just heard this and just ponder this, this very simple verse 
and ponder how it might be saying a little more than just oxygen going into lungs. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of Feel like your life is God oxygenated? Do you feel like you're you have in you the spirit, the wind, the breath of God? Do you feel like our world is breathed into by this great God? Do you feel that way? Most of the time. You'd say like me, heck no. Can we be honest? Can we be honest, church? God, I have within me the breath of God, the breath of life. Well, the Bible is very clear that, and you just turn over to the next page and you see that these lives that were started with the breath of God, the breath of life in God, things go bad pretty quickly. And the chapter has the heading in most Bibles, the fall. In the fall, you might say, if you want to put it in terms of breath, the fall is that time where the air gets polluted. And not just that, and this will resonate with you, not only is the air in the world polluted, but our lungs don't work right. That's a good way to think about the fall and the world we live in and why we, why we long for more because there's an internal mess and there's an external mess. We had a lot of smoke from those fires. I think it was early November. Campfire. There were fires in Southern California. Paradise Fire. And uh, the air got really bad. Um, how many of you wore a mask during that time? Okay, so maybe almost half. Um, that's, that's interesting. I, I found myself sometimes in, in, a, in a group of like 10 people, and I was the only one with a mask on. It's, you know, it's a certain weird peer pressure feeling to that. Am I weird? I mean, I was up all night researching air quality. I was learning about this particulate matter. I was learning about the different kinds of masks and which ones work. I checked out some YouTube videos about, you know, reviews of different masks. And then I ended up getting what was like the N5 mask from the fire department. And then I wondered, do I got to change it every day? When does it dirt? You know, I was doing all these thinkings about this thinking about the air being polluted and making sure I wasn't breathing it. And others were just like, eh. Somebody said to me, what? You ever ever sat around a campfire? I mean, come on. You ever gone camping? And that's kind of like, that's kind of uh, how we are as people. There's kind of two types of spiritual responses to the spiritual dynamics in the world. There's the, oh, come on. And then there's, uh-oh. All gonna die. <laughs> There's kind of these extremes. Or to put it more mildly, uh-oh, this is not good. You know, we're ah, come on, and uh-oh, this is not good. 
as the story of the Bible goes on, and it seems like most of the people in those early chapters are saying, ah, come on. Or anybody saying, uh-oh, it's not good. Then God becomes, as the story goes, this is all early stuff in the Bible story, God becomes so grieved that things have gotten so polluted. God is grieving and, I don't know, disappointed and just sorrowful about the human condition, so much so that he wants to end all of the injustice and the violence and the abuse. It's just overwhelming to God. And so he overwhelms the world with a flood. This is the story of Genesis 7. Fascinating language. As we get to 7 verse 22, it goes like this. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Because, you know, when you're underwater, you can't breathe anymore. And it's interesting because God's message towards the end of that is, I'll never take away, I'll never cover people with water like this again. I'll never cover that with water so they can't breathe again. I'll never destroy the world like this again. And the rainbow is a warrior's bow, but it's not pointed down anymore. It's pointed upward. Look. That's kind of how the Bible starts, and as we are dealing with a few different readings, all that deal with breath today, let's, let's just kind of let that sit for a second and think about how we get into this, this sermon, really, that the Apostle Paul is giving in this place called Athens. Um, in, in order to listen to new ideas, you have to have some kind of notion that the world is incomplete, that you have an incomplete outlook, that not all is good in the air. And that is at work in this place called Athens, which is described in such a way that um, it's described in verse 21. We didn't read this part. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. There was an openness. There was a sense these listeners had open minds. Um, and there was even an idol that Paul refers to. He says, I saw amidst your idols an idol to an unknown known God. And so what is unknowing to you, and the word there is actually the Greek word that sounds like agnostic, which is where we get the word agnostic. So what is what you don't know and aren't sure about, I'm here you about. So I'm going to give you the knowledge that you're missing. It's kind of how Paul was speaking as he tried to find an on-ramp into talking to these people who are open to new ideas, to talking to them about Jesus. Um, and so what he does is he uses, um, he talks a little bit about how we all have, God has breathed into all of us and gives us all his breath. And he talks about a couple of poems. He references like the cultural artifacts of their day to kind of say, you guys are really close to this truth. Um, these listeners were in some ways, if we said earlier that you are either, oh, come on, or you're like, uh-oh, 
this is not good. The Athenians seem to be in some kind of uh-oh place that they're willing, some of them at least, to listen. And Paul is tapping into that and using even their own poetry. Um, you and I, we hit places in our life, maybe you've never hit one, maybe you've hit several of these junctures, where you make some kind of shift or uh, movement from, oh, come on, to, uh-oh. So maybe it's like a season of um, not getting what you want or your plan's not working or hitting financial crisis. Maybe it's a season of health concerns that you really can't figure out or the doctors don't have answers to. Or maybe it's a season of anxiety or mental uh, crisis of some sort. Maybe it's something with your children or not being able to have children or losing a child. We hit moments that start to open us up a little bit to what might be missing. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's tragedy. Maybe it's disease. But uh-oh. This isn't good. A lot of people that I talk to um, are finding it very helpful when they hit those kind of places. Um, there's a lot in our cultural dialogue right now about mindfulness and meditation and paying attention to your breath. So this cuts across kind of all traditions. And it's good. People will find that this is helpful, this sort of just entering into slowing down and paying attention to their breath. The Apostle Paul, I imagine, because he was so giddy almost in that sermon, he was so giddy to see the ways that their culture was grasping to, to realize that there might be something else to answer the, uh-oh, it's not good. And he's, he's so giddy to say how, see how spiritually close people are to understanding why Jesus came. I think today, if he was here, he would be excited in the same way about how everybody's getting into their breath and mindfulness and we'd say, oh, yes, yes, so close, so open, so available to what's right next to you. And Paul says in his little talk, you know, God is not even far away from you. He's around you. He's right. He's close at hand. And Paul, so Paul today might even talk about breath, and he might spiritualize it, something like this, because Paul was, a, was trained in the Hebrew scriptures, and in he, the Hebrew language, it's not as difficult as it is for us, because the word was the same, breath, spirit, wind. It was the same word. It makes it a little difficult at times for translators of the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew. So when something says that word, ruach, well, what is it? Talking about breath, talking about spirit. We read a couple times now, you've heard this read. Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, or spirited into his nostrils the spirit of life. Or the wind blew into his nostrils. The wind of life. What, what is it saying? And there's room for ambiguity. It doesn't have to be necessarily one or the other. According to the Hebrew language, breath is, has layers of depth and spirituality. 
we were onto something today. Another thing that comes out in scripture around this word breath and around focusing on your breath is that when you do so, when you meditate on your breath and when scripture meditates on our breath, often the meditation takes us towards a humbling realization. It's very similar to what is said to, in most places on Ash Wednesday when the, the ash is put on your forehead and the phrase is, remember that you are dust and to dust you shall return. That's encouraging. Welcome to Lent. It's hum- but it's it, there's something there of sort of a, a humility of, wow. Think about this breath when you pay attention to your breath. This can be very. You can just have it be mechanical, or it can be kind of spiritual, where you say in a humbling way, "Wow, I do this without thinking. It's automatic, and yet it's." absolutely essential for my living. If I stop, I'm dead. Wow. It's humble. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I'm not even control, in a way, my own life, I'm not even controlling this breath. It's thoughtless how little control I have. There's another way, and you might choose to enter into this, or you might remain skeptical. That's fine. But there's another way that breath in the Hebrew is inherently spiritual. Some have pointed out, since we aren't really sure about the origin of this name for God, that God gives himself, Yahweh, we're not really sure. It seems to mean like, I am, or I am who I am. But we don't even really know how to pronounce it exactly. Yahweh. Some have pointed out, that perhaps the, where this name of God comes from is as simple as your breath. Let me try it, see if the microphone picks it up. So, if God's very name that he gives himself is basically just the sound of our own breathing, then I don't care how far... Wouldn't that be a funny joke that God plays on us? No matter how far away from God we run, even when we're asleep, we're still lifting up God's name. So Paul's sermon taps into breath when he's preaching to the Athenians, but he ends with some things that we didn't get to. He ends with talking about when Jesus' breath stopped. And then the punchline, and it's very controversial. It says that some of the Athenians scoffed at this, but the punchline was that there was a moment when his breath returned. He went from breath and stopped to his breath returning. And that's the punchline that Paul wants to get to as he talks about Jesus to people who've never heard of him. The time when Jesus' breath ends, but then it starts again.
death and resurrection. You know, the, the, the whole story starting in Genesis 2 verse 7, if it's a story of breath, then it's also a story of God seeing the spoiled and polluted lungs and the spoiled and polluted breath and wanting to return again to us breathing clear, us breathing the way he made us to breathe, and the world working the way it's supposed to work. And God's choice in that was not that the pollution and the injustice and the human striving for control would end up having to choke us out, but that in fact he would let it wash over his own son and Jesus would drown in it rather than us. It's another way to look at the cross is the return to humanity breathing clear again. But something had something had to absorb all the bad air. Somehow that had to get processed. Jesus becomes ground zero for that. And so how do we, if the Bible's story is, how do we restore our breath? How do we breathe easy again? It leads us, and the Christian's life leads to a second birth in a way. Becoming a new creation by the overlay, one of our songs actually got into this, the overlay of Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus going out of breath and back into breath, being overlaid over our lives. What do Christians do? The initiation rite that Jesus had us do is to go underwater and then come up again. Water kills. You can't breathe. You go underwater. And you come out. That's baptism. That's overlaid over your life. You don't actually have to die. We don't. We don't kill people in baptism. We don't. We don't hold them under and say, "All right, they're done breathing now." We don't have to. That's what Jesus did, and that gets overlaid over our Thank God. But it's kind of controversial because, in a way, in order to buy any of this story, you have to, your sense of uh-oh needs to be way deeper than what most of us in our culture and in our world are comfortable with. You have to have a deep sense of how far the brokenness goes and how in need we are of a rebirth. As Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. We have to have a pretty deep sense of how broken we are if we need that extreme of a solution that things are working just completely almost backwards for us without God's help. You know, I get to talk to a lot of people, and sometimes when I've uh, met with someone whose life is really in a place that's kind of dangerous, I would say, as a pastor, that that would be my judgment of the place this person is, wow, I've even said to someone, it's like you're in a car and you're driving it at a wall. Um... And it's like they think, no, I just need, that's not the problem. I just need to put a different octane gas in. (laughs) I just need to go from 87 to 89. That's all. That's kind of how we are. We just need a subtle course correction or a bit of consult, uh, someone to consult or advise us. Because our hearts are mainly going in the right direction. We just need to, once in a while, get back to what our hearts that's not how the Bible puts it. The Bible says, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, and Jesus does this when people come 
seeming like they have the answers, then he confuses, utterly confuses them. Expect that in your own life, by the way. But he does it to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes with some pretty good answers right off the bat. Jesus, we think that you're from God because you do things that no one else can do. And then Jesus just goes really philosophical and wild and crazy on Nicodemus. So that Nicodemus is like, I don't understand anything you're saying. And it's around being born again. He says, you've got to be born again. You need to be reborn. That's how extreme our need is for change. Reborn. You know what happens? Jesus didn't talk about this. I don't think he was allowed to yet because it hadn't come out in the scientific journals yet. But um, what Jesus could have, what I think he would say if he was here today, is um, he would talk about the foramen ovale. Just looking at anybody who even knows what I'm talking about. There's some little eyebrows going up. The foramen ovale. I researched it a little more this week because I was just, I've always been curious about this. All of you had a foramen ovale at one time and you don't anymore. All of you had a space in your heart that was open that's now closed. It was, and it developed when you were like four weeks gestation, where these two walls between two chambers of your heart, and I don't, we don't even know why, exactly how it happens, if it's programmed cell die-off or what, but these two walls, one of them kind of gets smaller, the other one opens up into like a flap. And these are walls of these chambers of the heart. Why do they do that? Because your lungs at that point are filled with fluid and they're collapsed. And so they are high resistance. And so the flow doesn't want to go there. But, you know, when you are an air-breathing human and you're born, you, those lungs need, the blood needs to go to those lungs to get reoxygenated. But not yet when you're not born yet. The other thing that's going on is the placenta is low resistance. So you have high resistance at the lungs. You have placenta, which is only for when you're inside your mother's womb. That's where your blood gets oxygenated, and that's low resistance. So this opens up as a way for your blood to bypass the chambers that go to your lungs and head back to the placenta to get reoxygenated. Now, what happens when you came out into the open air? I'm convinced this happened with every single one of you. That's, it's funny to be able to definitively tell you that's happened to each one of you. When you came out into the open air, you had it within the first 10 seconds, you took a breath. And when the breath came in, that now your lungs, the resistance relaxed. In chambers, and uh, in, 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 uh, little arteries, they opened up. And at the exact same time, a chemical reaction happened with your umbilical cord where the cold temperature that was hitting that, the fluid inside of it coagulated. Now you've got high resistance going to the umbilical cord. You've got the lungs opening up, low resistance there. What happens here? An immediate pressure switch. And then the blood goes to your lungs to get oxygen. And then this just grows back into a firm 
closed off space never to be open again. All of that because of taking a breath. And Jesus would have talked about that to Nicodemus if he could, because it's really cool. And Nicodemus knows. He says, I can't, he would have said, okay, I know about the foramen ovale, but I can't go back in and have that chamber open up again, and then, you know, I can't go through that again. Of course, it's not literal. But that's the kind of massive switch of the inner workings of our heart that happens that Jesus came to to work into all of our lives. And you know, it does seem really quick with a newborn, that switch. But a lot of the little changes that happen at birth, there's other ones too, there's other little secret things that happen and shift at that moment. They take minutes and even hours and days to fully come into play. There's a transformation that the Christian experiences and begins to experience that is like a switch. Where there was once resistance, there's, where there was once high resistance, now there is low resistance. Where there was once low resistance, now there is high resistance. That's a natural shift in the very flow of how our hearts work in the Christian does take time though. But that's what Jesus is doing in all of us. I want to close instead of a, a verbal prayer, a spoken prayer, a prayer that I will sing. When you're invited to join me, there's the words of it are in the worship guide under the reflection page. It's the words to one verse of a, of a hymn. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew, that I may love the way you love, and do what you would do. You might choose to listen to the first one and come in on the second, or maybe you already know it and you can just sing it. respond to hearing God's word through offering prayers on behalf of our church and the world. Actually, today, this is our prayers of the people time. I'm going to just use the prayer of breath that is also in that handout in the back. You might have seen by email this past week as well. 
This prayer will include a minute of silence, and then I'll finish it out. When the prayer comes to an end, I'll invite you to join in with the words that we've been given to pray by Jesus, the Lord's Prayer. Creator of God, we are breathing oxygen today, and for that we give thanks. Stopping for a moment now, we marvel at our bodies, all the working parts sustaining us, not by our doing. We pause and reflect on this. sustain our breath and 7.7 billion others. Your spirit breathes on your church, too. We open ourselves to receive your wind of rebirth. May your spirit each day prepare us for that moment when our breathing stops. Born of your spirit, may we not fear death. As our bodies fade, let our faith increase. And we join our voices together with the words you gave us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial, and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We continue our worship time with an offering. And during this musical offering being played, it's a chance to give back to God from what God has given us. It's a practice and an act of worship, and it's not a moment of pressure. Especially, we want you to know that if you're visiting. 
Um, it's a good time to put the contact card or the question of the week to, to jot something down on that and to drop it in the basket. We have um, a prayer that you're invited to say together that draws us into this moment of worship. Compassionate God, we offer you these gifts as signs of our time and labor. Receive the offering of our lives and feed us with your grace that in the midst of death all creation might feast on your ending life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We have a chance to start with the statement of faith from the Apostles' Creed, so I invite you to join with me saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise. 
You made this world very good. And when we fell and didn't think that what you offered us was good enough, you didn't give up on what you had made. You sacrificially entered into ways of renewal, ways of reconnection, ways of reconciliation, ways to redeem and make new again what you started out, what started out is very good. You sent prophets, priests, and kings, and eventually you came through Jesus, who was born the same way we are, and opened up his mouth and took a first breath, and his lungs opened up. And then your path took you to the cross, where that breath ended. And then it returned on the third day, much to the amazement of all who were paying attention. And so we declare praise to you for the ways that you have not given up on us, but have continued to bring your grace and make a way for all things to be made new again through your son Jesus. And so we lift our voices with those past and present who forever sing to the glory of your name, saying, Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as we approach this table, we invite your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present in the eating and drinking and praying in this room. That we would meet you and that we would, we would walk out of here as if we are filled once again with your breath of life. And that we might bring that life to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. And have a seat. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread and broke it, saying, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the meal, he took the cup in much the same way. He said, This is the cup of a new covenant in my blood, shed for the complete forgiveness of all your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Together, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again.
as we look to close with our last song. And um, just a note that we have a Spotify playlist for our worship songs. So if you want to familiarize yourself more with that or enjoy that music, um, I think, what did he search? City Life Worship? City Life Worship. Or talk to Jake. We also have a sermon podcast so you can tell your friends or listen if you miss a week. Hear these words. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Peace in all of the forms.